Welcome to another episode of GDPR Now, a podcast dedicated to data protection and all things data security and privacy. In our episode today, we're discussing class action lawsuits from data breaches, what business leaders and your DPO needs to know in general, and some specifics on the British Airways case currently going through the courts. We also continue today a series of podcasts addressing concerns resulting from the coronavirus pandemic and the shift in working practices for hundreds of thousands of businesses across the UK and indeed the world. In our studio today, we're delighted to have back Kingsley Hayes, Managing Director of Hayes Connor Solicitors, based in Widnes, Cheshire. And in this, our second episode, Kingsley and I will be discussing data breach group action lawsuits in general, and as I've said, the BA1 in particular. So um, first of all, Kingsley, would you like to introduce yourself, please, for listeners who perhaps haven't heard um, episode 17? Thanks, Karen. It's nice to be back again. Uh, I'm Kingsley Hayes, Managing Director of Hayes Connors Listers. Uh, we're one of a, only a handful of law firms uh, in the country uh, that specialise in dealing solely with uh, actions that rise out of data breaches and uh, here today to uh, hopefully be informative and provide some information around the, the areas that are current. That's great. Uh, yes, because there seems to be um, perhaps some confusion around class actions themselves, how they operate in the UK, how they operate in the US and, and what is different about them. And I understand that, you know, the proper term for these actions in the UK is group actions. And so it'd be great if you could just give us a bit of a summary for listeners who may be unfamiliar with what the differences are and the, and the proper terminology. Certainly. Um, yeah, class action denotes an action uh, taken on behalf of a large number of individuals. It is an American term. Uh, it is a term that doesn't apply to, to UK based litigation, certainly to English litigation, uh, and where we are in a situation where there are more than a small number of people who are affected by uh, an, an issue, be that a data breach or any other aspect, um, if large numbers of people want to take action, they need to do so really under what's called a group litigation order structure. Uh, so um, group litigation is effectively the combining of all persons with a similar interest in a piece of litigation into one area. Um, it is different than the class action status in America, um, because in America, you only need to find one claimant in a particular action who can take uh, that action forward on behalf of everybody who may be a victim. So I think the difference that you tend to find in, in the States to here uh, is that uh, very, very quickly, uh, if a a breach or if an issue arises, uh, then you'll find that lawyers are issuing proceedings for a class action in America within a matter of days, sometimes within a matter of hours, because they only need to find that one claimant here. If you're going to take group litigation uh, on behalf of all, all victims or a number of the victims of a, of a breach or an other issue, uh, then you have to go and find them and bring them together as that group. So that has been a key difference, obviously, up until now um, between the UK and the US. And, and I guess that horrible term ambulance chasing perhaps uh, arises from, you know, lawsuits. Yeah, very much so. And, it, and, and that really tends to be related to the fact that if you are going to do uh, group litigation, you effectively have to advertise for people to come forward if they do not know that they 
um, have been affected or they do not know what their rights are to compensation. I think that that's, that's a difference, uh, here than, than in the United States. Um, it, it's quite interesting in our environment in data, um, because more often than not, the person who has breached the data or who has lost the data, uh, knows exactly whose data has been lost. Um, you know, they, they can point to the total number of victims. They can notify those victims, send out emails, mm-hmm. whatever the notification process is. Um, but the litigation process in this country does not require them to notify those individuals that they're entitled to claim. Oh, so that's really interesting, actually. So how would individuals know that there might be um, a, a potential for a group action taking place i mean is it uh, they they they, they, they wouldn't or? unless no they wouldn't unless they had a, a desire to be involved um i mean i i suppose if you just look at uh, individuals behavior the, the general public's behavior if they want to find information about anything these days then google tends to be the number one repository social media probably number two although it's debatable as to which way around that is these days um and putting a search term in uh, for, uh, for example, like British Airways data breach or Ticketmaster data breach or whatever it may ultimately be, is probably what people do if they receive an email or are notified. Um, so, you know, it, it is a question, therefore, as to whether information exists on the web or on social media for them to find that action is is forthcoming. Um Sometimes that information can be there very quickly uh, after a breach. Sometimes it can take a more significant amount of time to actually appear. And so do you, in your experience, do you think that the introduction of G- GDPR in 2018 and obviously the updated Data Protection Act and all the publicity that that got, do you think that individuals are perhaps a bit more aware now that these group actions might be available, whereas, you know, four or five years ago, it may never have crossed their minds. Yes, I think so. Um, and, and I think there is significantly more information available uh, now as to how litigation in this particular area is forthcoming and, and how it's proceeding. I mean, I, I suppose if you look before the implementation of GDPR, there was very little litigation in this area. Um, mm-hmm. It tended to be very niche, very specialist, uh, and probably kept reasonably quiet. Um, you know, as it stands at the moment, um, there are a number of uh, firms and ours included who have repositories of quite substantial information that's available online and on social media for people to see as to as to what the outcome of a breach is and what the actions are that are taken beyond that breach occurring. Uh, so, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, I suppose if a breach occurs today somewhere for a large organization, there will be information for people to see what they can possibly achieve and possibly do as a result of it. Okay. Very interesting. Yes, it's definitely ch- a changed uh, environment and a changed landscape. Um, so I was doing a bit of reading before you came on the show, and I, I read um, some updates, some recent updates on the Google versus Lloyd lawsuit. Could you just give us a little bit of information on on what that is? Yeah, sure. Mr. Lloyd uh, was an individual who owned an iPhone. Um, he uh, is a bit of a consumer champion, I think. If you read the um, the reports on, on on him as an individual, uh, he uh, decided that he wanted to pursue an action against Google for the way that they. 
uh, obtained and used his information uh, in relation to uh, advertising and selling products and services. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he took uh, an action or more appropriately, I think, to say he has been seeking to take an action against Google on a what's called a representative basis. So a representative basis is more akin to the American class action system. So Mr. Lloyd purports to represent every single iPhone user in the UK and possibly even beyond the UK shores uh, in trying to recover compensation against Google for how they have gone about dealing with um, uh, their data and collecting it on individuals. Um, it's been through a couple of stages of the UK litigation process, more recently ending up in the Court of Appeal, where the Court of Appeal said that Mr. Lloyd could take that action on behalf of persons uh, so far unknown if they come forward, uh, mm -hmm. and that um, probably one of the more interesting parts of it was that Mr. Lloyd um, could pursue an action uh, in relation to the uh, compensation for purely for loss of privacy of that data. Um, so w without necessarily having to prove that it caused distress, harm, uh, or was used in any particular way that was fraudulent or cost Mr. Lloyd money, in terms of financial loss, um, uh, and he could be compensated. Th that in itself is a bit of a change of the of the landscape. Having said that, that case is now on its way through the Supreme Court, having been given permission to appeal. And at some stage, probably this year, maybe late this year, or even next year, given the COVID-19 situation, um, the Supreme Court will decide whether the Court of Appeal was right on both of those points or not. That sounds to me like that would be a very expensive process for an individual. Would any others be involved? I mean, I can't imagine the cost of going through uh, various court processes against Google, someone like Google. Yeah, very substantive. I think, uh, I think, I think it's uh, publicly available information that that um, action was backed by uh, an organization uh, who are involved in litigation funding. So, you know, that this type of litigation r requires multiple millions of pounds in order to move forward. And, and I suppose, as you can realize that if an action like that is successful for the volume of individuals who will have been affected and likely be compensated. The potential returns in compensation are in the hundreds of millions of pounds. So you tend to find that litigation funders who are organizations that are very good at statistically analyzing litigation cases, predominantly in the United States, but also now here in the UK, um, look at a particular type of litigation, run some statistics against that type of litigation for success rates to see what it's likely to achieve. Uh, and then they raise funds from the market generally uh, in some instances and from closed individuals or organizations in others in order to support that litigation. So, you know, they are there to provide a fighting fund for the likes of Mr. Lloyd and others to pursue that litigation uh, against a very well-funded and organized corporate entity. That is fascinating and a little bit scary at the same time. You've got uh, groups who are out there doing that, but I guess that's the way the way the world's working at the moment. Yeah, I think it's it's it is. I mean, you know, you. I mean, we're we're talking about a number of or very large corporate organisations today and and beyond. I mean, you know, in. in times before COVID-19, these organizations are extremely well-funded. And, you know, in, in UK litigation, um, you have to be well-funded in order to take that litigation forward, particularly if you're seeking to break new ground. 
Um, and every case that's taken forward in the data area at this point in time does tend to break new ground. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not. Um, and if an organization is sued and it is successful in defending itself, uh, then it is entitled to recover its cost against that person that sues them. So the um, more expensive the lawyers, the more those costs are. And well, that's, I mean, it's certainly a, a case that data protection officers and business leaders in general need to be following quite closely um, because obviously they might need to take a different different steps within their business to make changes. To yeah, very much themselves. so. I mean, that's, um, that, that is definitely a landscape changer. Well, well, well as I think, as you mentioned, you know, the, there's a perhaps a delay in the proceeding of the case through the Supreme Court due to COVID-19. Yes. So it might be later in the year or early next year before I think we have so. an answer to that one. So we'll be, we'll be looking to have you back on um, when that comes out. No problem. Um, so that's the Google versus Lloyd one. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about the British Airways one um, and where what stage it's at and you know what, what the current situation is happening? Yeah, sure. I mean, the British Airways litigation is is in the High Court in London. Uh, it is proceeding through there. Um, somewhat unusually, uh, British Airways themselves applied for a group litigation order, and I think they probably did that last year because there were five, six, and probably even more law firms who were seeking to represent British Airways customers and and, and bring that data protection litigation forward. Um, so in order to control that litigation, uh, group litigation order was applied for and granted. And this, the case is currently at the stage where anybody who wishes to join that litigation, anybody who was the victim of a breach uh, or that particular breach uh, can join that litigation between now and January of next year, January of 2021. Um, after that date, uh, that group is closed. So um, anybody who hasn't yet lodged a claim in that action has until January 2021 to do that. Uh, and then the case will proceed from that date. So there's there's not really a, a huge amount happening in relation to that case progressing at this point in time. It, it is really in that stage of group litigation order has been granted and claimants who wish to come forward are coming forward from that date in 2021 in January, the court will then hear from all interested parties, um, the lead solicitors uh, and others, uh, and then decide what the timetable is for that case proceeding to a hearing. Mm -hmm. There isn't really a set pattern for those cases proceeding, um, but I would think in an action like that, uh, that the, the case is likely to be split into two distinct parts. Firstly, to assess and understand the technical areas of the breach and to okay. apportion liability in relation to that. So, simple question, is it British Airways' fault or not? Um, the ICO seemed to think so, uh, issuing a decision notice that they were going to fine BA a substantial amount, although that decision notice is currently under appeal by BA. And again, as with most things at the moment, that appeal has been delayed as a result of COVID-19. Um, so we will see what the outcome of that is probably towards September time of this year. That process to take the decision on or to get the decision on on who is responsible will probably take us into 2022. 
Um, oh, wow. okay. And uh, if it's not appealed, um, if uh, whoever loses doesn't like the decision and appeals it, it'll carry on for some time after that. And then eventually when that process is exhausted, then they'll go into looking at them um, if there is compensation that is due to the individuals who suffered loss as a result. Um, so th- that, that case is going on for a number of years, I think. But on, on the second part around proving if individuals have lost out as a result of the breach, I mean, I guess the first step in that is understanding whether your data was breached. Yes. Um, so you'd have to rely, obviously, on, on you being informed by the, by the company. But then sometimes it can be quite hard to know whether your data has been used in a way that um, has caused you some maybe not loss at the moment, but maybe some potential future loss. Uh, How would individuals even know to check that? Or is that not their responsibility? Is their responsibility just putting their name down as part of the group action? Well, I think, I think their responsibility first off is to, is to, uh, it's certainly in relation to this action. Um, people will know if they've been involved because British Airways were extremely good at notifying everybody who was involved. Um, so everybody involved should have received an email from British Airways. The issue separately of whether it has impacted them is a, is an extremely difficult one. It's one that will, take some considerable time to run through. What you tend to find in areas, not necessarily specifically BA, but certainly in areas where people's financial data is lost as a result of a breach, um, a a hack, um, a a breach in any way, shape or form, um, they tend to suffer from a consequence of that relatively quickly thereafter. um, Mm -hmm. Because there tends to be a window of opportunity for that data to be sold, bought, probably many times, numerous financial transactions to be undertaken on the credit card uh, or debit card um, in order to seek to get as much money as possible uh, for the fraudsters and then move on again before the card is cancelled. So, um, you know, you tend to find that the loss arising, if indeed it is a loss uh, to, to, to the individual, to the credit card company, tends to happen quite quickly in the aftermath. The difficulty is where you have more than just financial data that goes and whether that data is then sold, be it identity data, uh, contact data, yeah, credentials, um, whether that's sold and then held uh, or is available for somebody to put together with other data that they may have from an individual who has been the subject of a different breach in a different area. So, Mm -hmm. you know, breaches are occurring all of the time. And there is certainly a school of thought amongst experts in this area that data is being compiled for um, uh, profiling of individuals um, to be used at an appropriate point in time when fraud can take place. Um, you know, yeah. it's not just one set of data leading to one set of consequences. And I think that's probably the most worrying part for everybody in relation to um, to their data. Um, data has a significant value. Each piece of data has a value. If you put that data jigsaw together, you can take it to a significant number of places where you can get a value if you are minded to do so. Yeah, so so bad bad actors, for example, at the moment could be building up great vast stores of data Very of individuals so. that they're, they're nicely knitting together and profiling for the right moment. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, on the credential side, I mean, I, I believe they're, you know, out in the dark web, you can go out and you can check if you've got the access to the correct systems. You can go and check to see whether your 
data is being sold. Yes. Um, especially your credential data. Um, yep. And, you know, then taking vast amounts of credential data and spraying that data into lots of different types of applications to see if you get hit and if if the um, hackers can get into those systems. Oh, hugely. And, and it's you know, huge. The, the things that we have seen, um, again, this isn't specific to, for example, the British Airways litigation, but certainly in, in general, the, the number of um, both group and individual claims that we do, um, people have a tendency to use a limited number of passwords and the password that they yeah. will potentially use for their email will be a similar password to they use for their LinkedIn profile and so on and so forth. Um, and if one of those profiles goes down, um, then it's very, very straightforward for somebody to use an email email address and a an unprotected password to get into various different locations and from there to build a profile of an individual up um, and and then again from there to use that for uh, identity theft and, and and various other uh nefarious acts um so yeah you know i i'm a big believer that um small pieces of data do have a significant value when they are knitted together yeah. If, so if, if we knew who'd stolen it and what else they've got, that's when you can really start to see. Yes. I mean, the, dangerous... the, the very fact that you can, say so you never, never, never seen it done personally, but we, um, that, you know, people are selling individual tranches of data um, for a, a financial value on the dark web shows you that this data has a value. Um, yeah, e- even exactly. in its most, uh, you know, even its smallest component, it has a value. So, um, you know, it, it's difficult um, to protect everything all of the time, but it's very, very important that people are aware that, you know, what they may consider to be a small piece of data can be very valuable in the wrong hand. Well, and, and just finally on that topic, I mean, I must have, I don't know, almost 100 logins mm. to various systems. Um, so, you know, maintaining usernames and passwords for personal use and business use is a huge, it's a huge job. And, and, so. and very much, I mean, certainly for, for your sort of DPO audience, I mean, the, um, the organizations control the DPOs control of the systems and the processes and the policies and procedures around how those passwords are used and where they're used um, by an individual and where they port passports from corporate organizations into personal life is a very, very big issue. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, very, very difficult. Oh, so that's, um, well, that's an interesting update on the British Airways case. So as a result of potential um, lawsuits from data breaches, um, so we've got the, the, the risk of reputational issues as well as financial risks that businesses, business leaders need to be aware of. So any pieces of advice for them that you could maybe think of I, I think one of the one of the most interesting things that we're seeing at the moment relates to organizations who are pushing themselves forward on the tech front be that in the financial services industry or 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 even in the software development industry and uh, you know their actual approach themselves to their own security their own protection of the data that they are processing doesn't quite match the ability that they say that they have to provide a service to others that's quite a stark issue that we're seeing at the moment um, and you know tech startups in particular um, tend to run at a significant pace of development and the pace of the development is not always matched by the pace of the security 
and you know that that's I think an area that we will see I mean, it might change now depending upon how the landscape survives COVID-19 and, and what business looks like. But as we're all pushed to more online transactions in every single area, you know, the robustness and resilience of systems and their protection for those organizations will be tested like never before. I think we've seen that already through this epidemic. Um, we have, yes. Uh, and I, I just think that that is coming at an even more significant pace. I think that will probably be one of the more lasting impacts uh, of of COVID-19 beyond obviously the, the human impact that we're suffering from at the moment, but certainly that will be an impact that organisations will need to be very, very wary of. Yeah, no, I can think of a few examples of, um, you know, on the one side, companies like Zoom, lucky enough to, you know, have huge increases in in their user base. But, you know, they've, they've had to make a lot of changes very quickly to their security setup and their data protection, which, you know, which they have done. But, you know, there'll be lots of companies out there, you know, delighted at the uptake in their services. Mm. But actually, it brings a different set of problems, as you've just said. It certainly does. And, you know, they, uh, as Zoom becomes the byword now for video meetings, even if you're not using the technology. It has, yes. You know, you, you're in a situation where reputation is 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 ever more important because um, if they suffer a, a particular breach or continual breaches uh, of security, then they will become more than a byword for video conferences. They'll become a byword for very poor security. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the success in the short term will not be matched by the success in the long term. Well, and, and, and of course, as the, our topic of conversation today, they could then become, the, you know, in, land up in courts in the US or even over here in a class action lawsuit for the loss of their data and, yes, and additional very much penalties. So. Very much. That, so. You know, you can imagine that would, could happen quite quickly. Yes, I know. I mean, this is an area. So the 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 data protection area, the GDPR area, is an is an area of increasing litigation at some pace, um, and you know that will show no sign of continuing in the next few years. Well, well, thank you for uh, helping explain more about uh, cl- group actions versus class actions and and the Google's lawsuit as well as the British Airways one that's been really informative Kingsley um so that brings us to the end so if our listeners would like to contact you Kingsley I've got your details at the bottom of the show notes so they're very welcome to contact you there yes very Um, much so thank you and it's been a pleasure to have you on both our both of these recent podcasts so thank you again for that and maybe in the future once the um Lloyd Google case comes out of the Supreme Court, we can have you back on and you can talk about what happened in that. Yes, very much so. So to our listeners, if you have any issues that you would like to be addressed on this podcast or any questions answered, please send them to me at info at dpoforbusiness.co.uk. Or if you'd like to appear in the podcast, again, please let me know. So for me, Karen Heaton, thank you for listening. And thanks again to Kingsley for taking part in our second episode and we're looking forward to the next one thank you very much thank you bye-bye